Um, I'd like to have a show of hands. How many of you blew it this week? In some way, shape, or form? Okay. I, not a show of hands on this next one. How many think the person next to you should have raised their hand? <laughs> I don't want to cause any problems here. Um, <clears throat> it's not unusual, is it, to feel like we really blew it? As we look back at the week or we look back at whatever period of time. We mess up. And sometimes we mess up in big ways. Where we feel like there are sort of neon lights flashing. And either everybody knows we blew it. Or sometimes I think it's almost worse. We're not sure anybody knows. But we're afraid they're going to find out. And we have that little secret inside us that if it ever gets out. I think for most of us, sooner or later, we feel like that failure. And sometimes, you know what? We're right. We are a failure. We have blown it in some way. We've done bad things. We've made wrong choices. We've said things we wish we could take back, and we can't. We want to hit rewind on the last week or the last day. And we end up feeling like a failure. We don't think much of ourselves, and we're convinced nobody else thinks much of us. And if we have any kind of faith, one of the greater concerns is, what does God think of us? Does he want anything to do with us? I've run into countless people who have hesitated to walk through that door because they're convinced God doesn't even want them in this building. Because of what they've done. They have failed. Well, we're in a series called Refresh. And the question really becomes... If we've blown it in some huge way, can God help us? Will he help us? Does he want to help us? Or has our failure, our guilt, built a wall between us and God so that we're sort of beyond his help? Well, as we said a couple weeks ago, if you feel like you're in that club, you need to know you're in a pretty big club. Because there's a lot of people who have failed in real ways, in big ways, and God has still helped them. We listed some of them off a few weeks ago. David, one of the greatest men of God, committed adultery and killed Bathsheba's husband to try and cover it up. Adultery and murder. And the list goes on and on. Paul killed people because they said they were Christians. Peter betrayed and denied even knew Jesus and ran away and left him to be arrested and crucified. And Scripture is full of people who have failed. Legitimately, they've blown it. But that has not put them beyond God's help. And you need to hear that message today. I want you to hear that message today. If you're struggling with failure, you're, you are not beyond God helping you have a new life. 
And we need to be honest about why we feel the way we do about our failures. Because so much of life has taught us that how we're viewed is based on our performance. Now we all say that we don't want to be that way as parents, but we end up that way, don't we? I mean, our kids come home with an A, how do we react? Our kids come home with an F, how do we react? We send a message about performance. They do what we want, we send a message. They don't do what we want, we send a different message. And it's not just our parents. We learn it from our teachers, from kindergarten through college. We perform well, we, have, we are viewed one way. We don't perform well, we're viewed another we learn it in sports. Fumble the ball on the one-yard line and give it to the other team. How are you viewed by your teammates? They either just smack you around or they don't even talk to you. And your coach either gives you that look or won't look at you. And you get a very clear message. And that continues as adults in our careers. Everywhere we look, we get this message that our acceptance is based on our performance. And so it's only natural that we bring that over to God. And of course, the Bible gives us all kinds of expectations from God. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. And so it's easy for us to fit into that same mold with God. And so the result is when we blow it and we break the thou shalt nots or the thou shalts, we make an assumption. Obviously, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I failed. I've blown it. But what if God's love is different? That's what I want you to see today. And that's why we can have a hope of hitting refresh even when we have failed. God loves you for who you are, not what you've done. Write that down. Listen to that again. God loves you for who you are, not what you've done. God loves you because you are his child created in his image. You're his. Whether you want to be his or not, whether you love him or not, he sees you as one of his children, and that's why he loves you. Not only if you're good enough. Will you turn over to Romans 5 with me? I'd like to read several verses there that Paul wrote for you if you're feeling that way today. Paul was raised a legalist. He understood the whole thing of God loves you for performance. And he had left that because he came to believe it wasn't true. What he found was a very different God. And that's what he writes about in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, a, a rule follower, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for, in, for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then down in verse 10, the beginning of that verse, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. If you're sitting here today and feel that you have blown it in life, you would say, I think I've failed. Or I failed in some big way. Romans 5 is about you. Are you powerless in the sense of you can't do it right? You can't earn God's love? You can't be good enough? Are you ungodly? You're not good like God is. Are you a sinner? You've broken God's rules. Are you an enemy of God? You and God aren't on the same side. Paul said what he came to understand is even though we may be all of those things, God's love was so great, he still asked Jesus to die for us. And that act proves God's love in a very demonstrable way. You can't question his love. Look what he did. It's not just words. It's not just a wish. He showed he still loves us when we failed by his actions, by dying on a cross. For us. And I want you to understand, Jesus did not die with a blindfold. We've all seen the statue of justice. She's blind, blindfolded. Jesus had his eyes wide open on the cross. Both in that moment seeing the people who had cheered for his death, the soldiers that had killed him, but just as much seeing us who he was dying for in our sin. What does he say? Father, forgive them. And he willingly dies because we need his death for us. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've good, we're good enough. We've caused his death with our sin. But his love is so great, he looks right at us and says, Yes, I'll die for you. I saw what you did. I'll still die for you. I still love you. And that's what makes his death so powerful. Knowing us, he still dies for us. Knowing what we have done, God still wants you. He knows you failed, but he didn't stop loving you. Have you ever thought about it? We may hide some of our mistakes from others, and they may not know. You don't hide your mistakes from God. He's God. He sees everything. He knows everything. And knowing and seeing who you are and what you may have done wrong, he still asks Christ to die for you. That's the whole message of Romans 5, and that's what Paul came to understand. God saw me kill Christians, and he still loves me. That became so real to Paul, he walked away from all of his legalism said it is by grace we are saved and we're going to stop this sermon today and celebrate that grace because I didn't want us to go further in this whole thing of how God loves us as failures 
and helps us with our guilt, we need to stop for a minute and let that love of God, that amazing grace, soak into our heads and our hearts. It is a truth. It is a fact. But it is also a feeling. It is a love. And God has that for you. This hymn written by someone who had done terrible things. And he came to understand what Paul understood. And out of that he wrote, amazing grace. God has that same grace for you. We didn't start out with this to um, have two sermons. But think how spiritual you can be at work tomorrow to say, yeah, I, I sat through two sermons yesterday. How about you? But I just didn't want us to pass up having communion while we talked about how much God loves us, even when we fail. Uh, Having that bread and that juice and realizing the body and blood of Christ given for us is very real and very physical. I think that's why God gave us that. And it is a very powerful way to make Christ's death real to us. Even when we were sinners, he died for us. But in a sense, we still have to deal with guilt, don't we? Because we know we've failed, and with that comes guilt. And I actually want to talk about two kinds of guilt today. You may have never thought about it this way, and if so, then it's really good you're here. There is, first of all, what I want to call appropriate guilt. And by, now hold on, stay with me here. Um, Appropriate guilt, what I mean by that is you really have blown it. We've blown it. We have done wrong, and we know it. And in and of itself, at that moment, feeling guilty is not wrong. It is a recognition of reality. We have done wrong. You can call it remorse, whatever you want, but there is a point at which that guilt is appropriate. Now, is it good or bad? Well, we have to decide that. Satan would like to use that guilt for bad. Satan would like to use guilt to tear us down. Where he repeatedly whispers in our ear and reminds us of what we've done wrong and reminds us of what a bad person we are. And in that process, he does two things. He tears us down, and he isolates us. He isolates us from others as we are feeling our guilt and ashamed of who we are, and he isolates us from God. Because he reminds us, there's no way God could love you. Look what you've done. And he repeats that, and he repeats that, and he repeats that as he tries to tear us down. And that is what we would all label as destructive guilt. But I want to give you a different picture. And that is how God would like to use guilt. In the sense of a conviction that I have done wrong. That God would like to use that for good. That we learn from that, that we face what we have done wrong, 
we check our commitment to God? Do we, are we committed to doing what's right? We don't want to be here in this place. We want to do what's right. And in that conviction and that facing of what we've done wrong, there can be learning. The Bible calls it repentance. We use that pretty much just theologically now in church. But it's a basic concept that's not just for theology. Repentance is where I'm going in this direction. I'm doing these things. And I realize I don't want to be going in this direction. I don't want to do these things. And we turn our direction around and we go in the other way. That's repentance. And that's what God wants to use guilt for that will help us. Help us grow, help us change, help us be a better person. And in that sense, God can use our guilt, our conviction over what we have done wrong, that we might actually grow through it. Now, if you are sitting here today and you have guilt in your life for failures, ways you've blown it, I want to ask you to ask yourself, which arrow is true of you? Are you allowing Satan to use that guilt to destroy you, isolate you, destroy your sense of worth or value, or that God could love you? Or are you allowing God to use that guilt, that conviction, to help you recommit yourself, want to be God's person, learn from this, be different? With God's help. But you see, God can use even your failure for good. If we will allow him. Now, as I said, I believe there's two kinds of guilt. And that's appropriate guilt. There is another kind of guilt that I want to talk about before we finish this today. And that's what I would like to label false guilt. This is guilt that is not really, truly based on my failure. What it is, is guilt based on other people's expectations. And we all have those messages, don't we? You should be this way. You should do this. You should have this, whatever. And we don't measure up. Maybe it's the parent who always wanted us to play piano or the dad who always wanted us to excel at baseball or it's somebody else that's important and influential in our life and they always wanted us to be a certain way don't you just love being compared to somebody you know well if you could do what the neighbor does he gave her flowers where are my flowers or look at her how she dresses I mean we just we get those messages all day long and sometimes we listen. And we end up feeling guilty because we don't measure up to somebody else's yardstick. That's what I call false guilt. Have you truly done something wrong? No. You just haven't measured up to somebody else's yardstick. And that guilt can also destroy us. 
And we need to face that as well. Because there are times we walk around feeling guilty and it's only because we haven't measured up to somebody else's expectations. The truth is we can't please everyone and I can't be somebody else because I'm not them. You're not somebody else and you can't be. We're not going to read the passage, but 1 Corinthians 12 talks at length about how we in the church are all different. We're not the same. We shouldn't try and be because God created us as we are. He says both ways God has arranged everyone just as he wanted them. He says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit has set us up as He wanted us. We are all different by God's design. And trying to be somebody else will never work. And Paul talks at length about the, he uses the human body as an, an analogy. And if the eye is trying to be a foot, is that ever going to work? No. I remember a junior high, I was a junior high, a sermon at camp. And this youth minister talking about, imagine an eyeball rolling down the sidewalk. The dirt in the eye and the pain. And I thought, that was really gross. But he made his point. An eye trying to be a foot will never work. And there is too much of what we carry around as guilt because somebody told me I should be a foot. And God said, but I made you to be an eye. And we're trying to be who we're not. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says something there that is fascinating. Verses 3 and 4. He's speaking to the Corinthians, and he's having conflict with the people in Corinth. And so Paul is being pretty blunt with them. But he says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Can I paraphrase this? I really don't care what you think about me or what other people think of me. But he goes on, indeed, I do not even judge myself. It really doesn't matter what I think of myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, if I could paraphrase what Paul says there, he says, first of all, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm not here to please you. But in all honesty, it really doesn't matter what I think of myself. It doesn't matter if I please me. Because the truth is, I could think I'm doing great for myself, and I'm way off. The only thing that matters is, what does God think of me? And that's the issue we need to wrestle with. If we are focused on what other people think of us, we will always have guilt, and we will never measure up. But the trend today is also way off base. 
I'm just going to do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what other people think. I'm just going to do what I think is right. Paul says, no, that doesn't work either. And that's what people haven't realized today. It's not just about what I want to do, what feels good to me. Paul said, what really matters is, what does God think? What does God think about what I'm doing with my life? He designed me. He's given me directions for how to live life. He made me an ear or a hand or an eye or a foot. Is that what I'm being? We were talking earlier this morning in starting point. God has a design for every one of us in this room. And we're told in Scripture that He even has things He wants each of us to do. We have a purpose from Him. And the real question, the only question that really matters is, are we listening to that purpose from God and His design? And are we walking the path He has for us? It's not the path mom and dad or a coach or this other influential person had for me. It's not even the path I'd like to walk. It's God's path. And we don't need to feel guilty about all those other paths and people's expectations. We'll never measure up. But we do need to ask ourselves, are we on God's path? Are we being and doing what he has for us to do? And that's the only expectation that really matters. The good news is, even if we blow that, he still loves us. We're not trying to walk that path to earn his love. Don't forget the first part of the sermon. What I'm trying to want, what I want you to see is walking that path is where you will be the most fulfilled and be the person he wants you to be, and you will blossom as you are the person God designed you to be. And any other path will frustrate you. But whether you fall off that path or you're not always doing it the right way, God is not changing in how he feels about you. He loves you. Even when you were an enemy of God and far from him, he loved you and died for you. And he still loves you today. But in that love, he will always call you to walk the path he has for you. Because that's how he designed you to flourish. To be who God wants you to be. And guilt and failure are far from that journey. He wants to give you a new way of looking at life. In love, in grace, following his plan for your life. May you find that freedom and joy today. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing grace that you love us without us having to earn it. You love us even when we blow it. And we don't have to please everybody. And even pleasing ourselves isn't going to get us anywhere. But if we will listen to you and follow your path, you have a wonderful life for us, a new life. Help us to see that and believe that it is really true. Help us walk that path. 
in grace. In your son's name.